The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, and I would love to welcome you to the second episode of season three. Today's guest is our first repeat guest in almost 50 episodes. Andrew Holland, formerly of the American Security Project, is now running the show at the Fusion Industry Association. He talks to me about fusion energy, what it means, what's new in the technology, including the prospects for helping reduce carbon emissions, what the role of government is in commercializing fusion energy, and how to make sure this technology is made in America. But first, is there a guest you'd like to hear, a topic you'd like us to cover, an event where you'd like a member of our team to speak? Our doors, i.e. emails, are open to your suggestions, invitations, ideas, whatever is on your mind. And now, my conversation with Andrew Holland. Welcome back, listeners. So excited to be here with my first-time repeat guest and old dear friend, Andrew Holland. Andrew, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Chelsea. It's nice to see you over Zoom after a very long and stressful period of time, and it seems like you have made some changes over the course of the last year. That's right. I I have. I have uh, left the American Security Project, where I was working when we last talked. Where you Uh, worked for like 15 years, right? 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Which is a long time in Washington. (laughs) It is. It is a long time in Washington. (laughs) So you left the American Security Project, and what are you doing now? So now I'm the CEO of the Fusion Industry Association. We're the uh, private uh, association representing all of the startup fusion uh, energy developers. These are all of the companies backed by venture capital investors who are working to commercialize fusion power. Well, of course, that's going to lead me in for my first question, which is what is fusion? That's right. So uh, it's an important question uh, because it's not yet an energy source that is being used uh, anywhere in the world. It is uh, at its bottom line, though, it's clean, safe, sustainable energy. It's the power of the stars. So it's uh, taking two two light atoms and at very high temperatures and pressures, pushing them together and releasing a tremendous amount of energy. It's, um, you know, it's creating a sun on earth. So how is that different from nuclear energy? So it is a nuclear energy, but nuclear fusion is uh, pushing the atoms together. Fission is taking heavy atoms and splitting them apart. So fusion is, uh, you know, the, the parts of nuclear power that are great, you know, all sorts of available energy without the downsides. There's no long-lived radioactive waste. There's no threat of a runaway meltdown. There is, you know, you don't have to put waste in any sort of long-term depository or anything like that. It's a, a fairly, it's a, it's a, you know, it's the ultimate energy source. Well, and it sounds like it also gives you once you are able to bring it to market anyway, that it would give you 
the um, consistency and the regularity that you don't get from a lot of our renewable sources. That's right. It, it is sustainable energy that is always on, always available. It's something that, you know, once once we have commercial fusion power, uh, we anticipate it'll be like turning on a light switch. You know, you can you can turn them on, you can turn them off, you can ramp up and down, you can, uh, you know, deal with a modern grid and make make a modern grid a, a it's a firm source of baseload power that is zero carbon zero emissions zero waste uh you know its fuel is found in seawater it is it, deuterium uh an element a, a, a part of hydrogen uh found in seawater it is you know it's the perfect energy source so you could, as a, let's say that you live in, in, in Texas and you have a lot of wind energy and you have some natural gas, if you had fusion, that could just be one of the um, energy sources in your portfolio. That's right. It, it, we anticipate that these power plants will be able to fit in just like any other big centralized power plant. You know, it could be any, it, the, the goals are to have power plants that are in the 100 to 200 to 300 megawatt range, you know, standard size of a natural gas power plant, but uh, zero carbon, you know, you'll be able to put it in even in the same spot that the power plants are today. But instead of having a fossil fuel power plant, it would be zero carbon fusion. So you mentioned that um, you, you mentioned the magic words, venture capitalists. <laughs> Why are why is there so much investment money moving into fusion energy right now? Yeah, I mean, certainly we see it in all sorts of clean energy sources. But um, I think what's happening is the promise is there. It is serious. People look and say, uh, where do I want to go? Well, you want clean, clean energy that is always available, affordable uh, and uh, fusion's the, the long-term goal. So then it, it's venture capitalists, but it's also, importantly, it's strategic investors as well. A number of our companies have taken investment from like big international oil companies. Chevron is invested in one. Uh, Equinor, the, the Norwegian state oil company, is invested in one. Any, the Italian oil company. So, so it's these these long-term energy companies are thinking about, well, you know, in the future, we want to remain energy companies. We may not be oil companies, but we, we want to be in the energy business. And so they're investing in uh, what they see is a, a, a longer-term strategy. But, but I'm here to argue that, that fusion is coming in a lot faster than people think. You, it's what's happening, you know, technology these days is advancing so rapidly and so what we're seeing is that there's all of these technology advances from outside of fusion, from outside plasma physics, are being applied to our designs and science here. So, you know, advanced manufacturing, magnets, um, artificial intelligence, you know, machine learning, all of these sorts of things are being applied to the uh, scientific process. And, you know, and then the business practices of a Silicon Valley venture capital sort of thing of move fast, build fast, fail fast, try again, <laughs> you know, keep going and keep going instead of a, a big government science project where you have to make it as least risk as possible, uh, never mind how long it takes or how much it costs. Yeah, don't even start that. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. But I, I'm assuming that you, so you said there aren't any fusion plants yet in the right. world. So are there 
barriers to market entry right now, or is it that you're still at the conceptual phase? This is science. It, 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 this is a, a problem of science. And so we have to, we know that fusion works. All you have to do is go outside and look at the sun. Yeah. Um, but making it work here on earth is, is a, a very difficult scientific proposition. Uh, it, it's no kidding to say that, that people have been working on this for 60 years. Um, so it's, it, the, the thing is, is that the, the elements don't want to be pushed together. So you have to either have very powerful magnets or very powerful lasers or some sort of mix of these other sort of drivers to come together to create the, the fusion reaction. So that's been a, a long-term scientific pro- process, but we're getting to there. We're seeing that, that, um, it's Q, Q greater than one is what, what you call it. Q is a measure of the, uh, the, the energy in versus energy out. And so we're seeing that um, greater energy out on the horizon. There's a couple of uh, our member companies have started building uh, fusion demonstration plants that will demonstrate this uh, Q greater than one uh, within this decade. So I mean, we we joked a little bit about the difference between undertaking something like this at the private level, where you can go big, try, fail, try again, versus the federal model where you have to be more cautious, et cetera. But I'm wondering, are there federal policies that you're looking to have in place that would help expedite the commercialization of fusion energy? Yeah, yeah. So that that's right. So so the Fusion Industry Association was created basically to help uh, push that through. I'm not a scientist, obviously. My job isn't to get the science done. My You're job not in the labs pushing those <laughs> atoms together. <laughs> no, 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 no. My my lab is running around Capitol Hill. Uh, so so no. What I do is to to set up the policies that make this work. So so there's a couple of things. Uh, one is public private partnerships. Mm-hmm. The, the U.S. government has been doing fusion science for a long time. Uh, and it's actually been really difficult for some of our private companies to work with the, their their public se- sector counterparts. So, you know, a lot of them are national labs. And so there's uh, security clearance stuff you have to do to, to work with national labs. There's various other sort of just bureaucratic hurdles that we have to have to set up and do. So we've been actually successful in setting up a new public-private partnership program called the Infuse program, Innovation Network and Fusion Energy, that allows our companies to to work directly with national labs. This was set up just two years ago and and, uh, and is really you know, a good example of how we can do this greater. There's also, uh, there's regulatory issues that we have to deal with. Of course. Um, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission will be um, a hurdle. Uh, and we have to make sure that they don't regulate fusion power the way they regulate fission power plants. Right. Because if you've talked to any of my cousins in the fission space, the NRC uh, is not used to dealing with anything that is not a big light water reactor. The big nuclear power plants we have all around the country, they know how to regulate those and they're, they're very good at it and they keep them safe, but they're also extremely expensive to regulate. For sure. If we have something like that for fusion, uh, it's going to kill it and drive it overseas. Well, and that was something that I was um, going to ask too, is 
I, I'm having a hard time sort of picturing what you need to build, right? Other than you said that this, uh, you know, a fusion energy plant could be in the, the same location as a fossil fuel plant, like are presuming that you need the components. So you need some manufacturing, right? Yep. You need the parts. Yep. Yep. And this, you know, I just think about um, solar arrays and how China is sort of eating our lunch because we let that market go. And it seems to me that if this is going to be the wave of the future, we need to make sure that we're manufacturing the components to build these plants here in the U.S., in addition to all the hurdles you just mentioned to getting the, the energy. Yeah, we, the, the global competitive aspect of this is, is real. Uh, so the Chinese are definitely uh, interested and they are investing a ton of money in this. Um, so there's, a, there's this global... Um, consortium called Eater that, that is building a fusion uh, experimental plant in the south of France. China is part of it, Russia, um, South Korea, Japan, United States, and Europe, and India. Uh, and they're all building this. And it's, it's become extraordinarily expensive. It, is way, it, it was set to turn on in 2016 under the original schedule. Now they're going to turn it on in 2025, maybe. Uh, and they're not going to go to full experimentation until 2035. So it is way behind schedule. It's about $20 billion over budget. It's just not a way forward for the private sector. So, but the Chinese are a part of that consortium and they are taking everything they're learning from that and building their own things in China. They are investing in it. They're, they're, they're looking at other uh, aspect ratios of, of, of dealing with this as well. So uh, China's involved, invested. Uh, the UK, honestly, is, uh, I would say, the leading uh, fusion nation right now. They have a, uh, a plan for a commercial power plant called the STEP, uh, spherical tokamak experiment, uh, that will be a pilot plant by 2040. Uh, and actually they just lured one of my companies, one of my member companies, <laughs> General Fusion, uh, from Canada to the UK. And they're gonna build their demonstration plant uh, just outside of Oxford there. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, of course, I think it's great that they're, that they're moving forward, but I would have rather seen it built here in the United States. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. If you had to imagine there would be a, a demonstration project in the U.S., are we even at the point of thinking where that might be? Yeah. So, so one of my companies, uh, Commonwealth Fusion Systems, is a MIT spinoff. Uh, and they have selected their site in Devons, Massachusetts, okay. uh, and they're building their, uh, their machine there called Spark, soon as possible, uh, advanced reactor concept. Uh, and so it is, that is going to be these this scientific demonstration plant. They're going to meet the criteria for break-even fusion by, they're, they're planning by 2025. So that, that's in Devons, Massachusetts, outside of Boston. Uh, there's and that's sooner than 2035 or 2040. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they, of course, they want to do it with, uh, with investment from the, the Department of Energy as well, but they're prepared to go with investor backing. Uh, well, I was going to ask if this is the kind of thing you could tap into ARPA-E or DARPA for, too. Yeah, so ARPA-E is actually responsible for the existence of many of my companies, and, and it was ARPA-E had, had funded uh, a couple of fusion rounds 
Uh, and as the first one of those, called Alpha, actually, was coming to an end in 2017, uh, a number of the companies all said, well, this was great. You know, can't we just continue to to keep this this um, these meetings rolling and this this coordination that to, together, uh, and they looked at, at me as I was there at the conference, and they said, Andrew, could you help us, you know, pull together an association? So that was a couple of years ago. Uh, it's taken a couple of years to to get the the thing up and fully running, and and me working on it full time. But uh, yeah, RPE has been involved and invested. Um, and honestly, we, we're looking to DOE Central, too, um, you know, as Congress considers an infrastructure package or uh, any sorts of appropriations. You know, advanced, uh, advanced nuclear is getting there's a new uh, development program that is going to be creating uh, new fission reactor designs uh, with significant amounts of DOE money. We don't need as much as that program, but but if you know DOE is talking about you know we want to create the energy sources of the future, and you hear you hear Secretary Granholm going around on this all the time. Mm-hmm. We think it's important to invest for the longer term instead of just you know trying to bring. It's a lot more uh, expensive to bring an industry back solar, as you said, from from China than it is to just create the industry here now. Uh, so, you know, it's it's a we think it's a, a relatively cost effective investment for the long term. I mean, it seems like we just learned our lesson there. Right. We, we <laughs> failed. So let's not fail this time. That's right. <laughs> Do you expect that when you get to the point where you might actually bring some projects online, that there will be that sort of knee jerk environmental reaction against it? Or I, I mean, I'm already sold, so, um, but it just seems that we often hear like the not in my backyard arguments, et cetera, et cetera. Are you kind of expecting that or not so much? We're, we're working on it. You know, first it starts as an education plan, mm-hmm. you know, fusion, what is fusion and why it doesn't, it's not a, you know, it's not something to be worried about in your backyard. You know, fusion will have the same safety profile as, you know, a lot of like radiological medical facilities that are cited all over the country in downtown cities and stuff like yeah. that. So it's not a, uh, it's not something that is threatening, but it's new. So, so you're right. You know, we just have to get out there and make sure that people are aware of it. And so, you know, I've been going and talking to environmental groups and our companies as they go and they cite their things have been doing a lot of time and investment to get the, to get this awareness up. You know, it, it's especially true when you're citing a thing that you got to go talk to your neighbors For and sure. you got to get them up, up to date on it. But, you know, there, there's actually some good lessons here. You talk about NIMBYism, but actually in the United States, most places that the, the, the people who are most in favor of nuclear power are the ones who are living closest to a nuclear power plant. So it's, <laughs> if you know something yeah. and you're comfortable with it, that's kind of the, the way forward there. For sure. And I mean, I have to say that I was really sold when you said um, no waste, because for me, that's always the hard part thinking about nuclear energy. And I just, you know, you and I have both worked on the Hill and seen the fights over Yucca Mountain for oh, decades oh. now. Okay, and it just, and even before then, I understand that it was like Maine and Minnesota and Nevada, and they were all like, not us, you, you, and, and, right. and you know, Nevada got it, but it's not, it, it, it doesn't seem like there's a viable path forward. No, no. And so, you know, there is, you know, 
we have to deal with some waste issues, but the waste is, is just something you can bury. Yeah. You don't have to bury it deep underground or anything like or, that. You know, the half-life <laughs> of a million years. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's no good. Uh, and, and yeah, it, it would be so nice to have a technical solution instead of dealing with the politics, right? Well, absolutely, for sure. And, and one thing I was sort of thinking is it feels like what you're telling me about some of these um, demonstration projects around the world the timing all sort of seems consistent with what we're hearing from the climate scientists, yeah. right? On when we, what we need to be doing to be keeping the global um, temperature down or from rise, continuing to rise. And so everything could kind of be hitting the head and at the same time. And even though I don't, you know, I don't like to think of us having to be in a position of dramatic urgency on climate change to right. get at a point of solving it. It does seem like maybe if we are headed down that path, this is something that could be ramped up. And if that's that's exactly right, we our our companies are mission driven here, and and the investors too. This is the reason that people are doing this. Um, you know, it, this is the reason to do it fast and to keep trying and to and to fail and to try again and and keep pushing it and 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 we're gonna get it. So you know, the goal to get. Uh, commercial power plants in the 2030s means that you're relevant to dealing with, with the cr climate crisis because the science says by 2050 we have to get the United States to what you know net zero right so to do that is a huge challenge you know it, it is uh, you we need to be doing as much renewables or whatever other sort of zero carbon things we can right now but the energy grid's not going to be a modern energy grid is going to require a lot of other things. Uh, and so fusion can help support that grid and can help be a part of this. And so that that's why our target is to to make sure that this is available and on the grid by that time so that, you know, then we can just be manufacturing. It just becomes then it just becomes how fast can you build them? Right. 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 How, can you, how, how fast can you get them out? And, and sh we should make them, you know, modular so that it can build, be built in factories and then shipped and just put in place and turned on. So that that's the goal. Well, hey, you know, over the last year, we saw the world come together in response to the coronavirus to get a vaccine to market in a year, which I remember hearing the fastest had been four years mm -hmm. and I was thinking, God, we're going to be in this forever, but here we are, you know, we're not in the same room, but if we were, I think we would be able to be mask free. And, right. and so I just have faith that we will all come together to solve climate and that this, what you're describing to me today, just gives me even more hope yeah. that we can get to that net zero someday. Yeah. And uh, put faith in American science and American yes. scientists. You know, I think that's one of the great lessons of this last year is that if you let them go and give them a target and give them a focus, American science can solve a lot of our problems. And this is this is one of them. Let's let's get the politics out of it and let the scientists get to work. Well, I think that's a great um, note to end on, Andrew. And I, I just wanted to ask you one more thing. If there are people, if there are listeners who would like to learn more and geek out on fusion energy, where should I send them? Yes. So our, our website is www.fusionindustryassociation.org. We have a Twitter, uh, which is at fusion underscore industry, you know, LinkedIn, that sort of stuff too we've got. But but the website's the place to start. Go to our YouTube channel. Actually, we've got a 
Uh, every other week, we do a fusion news uh, thing on YouTube where we've got some postgrads uh, who, who do a great job putting out what's the latest in fusion every two weeks. I, I'd really encourage people to sign up and subscribe to that. Well, I will definitely link that in the show notes. And as always, it's just a pleasure to um, have a conversation with you. And I think maybe now we're both kind of leaving our houses and getting out. We should do it in person. Look forward to it. Hey, Price. What's up, dude? Hey, what's up, girl? This week week was awesome. You know why? Why? I saw Bob. Yeah, you did. For the first time in five years. Bob makes it to D.C. for the first time since pre-pandemic. It's been a long time coming, but it's been a long time since you guys had seen each other. And Bob had seen a lot of people. So, yeah, it has been an exciting week with Republican.org or at Republican.org. Bob on the road, you in the D.C. area. Um, yeah, it, it, was a, uh, it was a great, successful, awesome week. It really was. And it was just so refreshing to see him because um, and maybe some of our newer listeners don't know, even before the pandemic, we at Republican.org are not all in one office. We are very decentralized. So Price and Bob live in South Carolina. I'm in the D.C. metro area. Wen is in California. Um, our emeritus <laughs> Republican Alex Bosmoski is out in Wisconsin. So we're all kind of all over the place and we stay connected through Zooms and calls and so forth. But, you know, I feel like before the pandemic, when Bob would come to town, his schedule was always really tight. And, you know, I was not the priority. We want him to be talking to people who will, you know, he can use his his logic and his emotions to bring people to our side. And this trip, it just so happened that the stars aligned and I got to see him and it was just really, really wonderful. We sat outside. It was not too hot that day. I mean, it was hot, but I guess not on the scale of terrible hot. So, yeah, as you said, it just right. I mean, being a virtual office, we don't get to see each other, at least spend in-person time around each other. I mean, it's a very rare occasion you know, Zoom is one thing, but as we all know, I mean, Zoom is not uh, pressing the flesh, sitting down and having a meal, you know, together. So, um, yeah, it this was one of those rare occasions, and, man, it was awesome. Our, you know, our, our friend, colleague, Alex Bosmoski, he was also in town, coincidentally, the exact same time his first trip back to D.C. So, yeah, yeah pretty awesome, a, a great week, and it, uh, you know, had a great guest, Andrew Holland. I love when Andrew comes on the podcast um, our first repeat guest. Um, but again, as you made the call out there, if you've got somebody you would like to hear an idea, let us hear it. Right, Chelsea? That's right. And, you know, to go back to Andrew for a second, he is, you know, he is a professional. He does his own podcast or he was doing a podcast at American um, Security Project. So I just think that he's always had this ability to take complex matters and really boil them down and make them understandable. So I was a little scared at first going into that interview because I usually feel like I know just enough to lead the conversation when I'm interviewing somebody. And with him, he just made it so easy. And I learned something along the way, which is best case scenario. So, you know, just enough to be dangerous, Chelsea. I know. (laughs) 
I'm so dangerous, aren't I? So dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed Andrew breaking down the uh, the fusion stuff and explaining it because that stuff. I certainly am no scientist. I have no PhD. That's my wife in the house. I didn't have a. I, he broke it down in ways that I could understand it, in ways that made sense. And you know, I'm interested to see. You know, I thought it was interesting listening to him, and interested to see where it goes. You know, in terms of bringing those kind of technologies to market. You know, but that's yeah. obviously a little ways away. Um, but it's still. Uh, you got to start somewhere. Um, and I think it, there's an exciting start for them. For sure. And, and, you know, I was telling my friend's son this week that he was getting a little upset about climate change. He's 15. And I said, hey, you know, the saving grace, honestly, is that there's a lot of money to be made in solving climate change. And it's going to be because of innovations and technology. And so um, just have faith in the work that Andrew's doing and the work that others unseen, unheard of are doing. And that is kind of a nice segue into next week's guest, which mm -hmm. I want to announce um, because, you know, people are always needing to evolve. And I hate, I hate talking about mitigating climate impacts, even though eventually that's what we're going to need to do. But, you know, the impacts of climate change are causing certain industries to have to think more creatively. And so our next guest Next week's guest is going to be Bart Hansen. He is the owner and operator and winemaker at Dane Cellars. He's worked in the wine industry his whole life. Price, you know wine is near and dear to my heart. I sure do. And the wine industry is really going to be impacted or is being impacted by climate change. And, you know, what was interesting to talk about with him is that wine vintage, you know, the year that you produce a wine is its vintage. And different vintages, vintages vary because of changing conditions, right? So you might have a drought, you might have a fire, you might have a frost that comes later than in the season than normal after your buds have already started to break on the vine. So all these things in a normal year will impact the um, that year's vintage, that year's wine. Mm -hmm. But now with climate impacts... These aren't just one-offs, right? They're seeing like consistent changes, a little bit like with the Corey Whitman interview. You know, it is farming. It all kind of goes back to how you tend the land and the things that you do. And so anyway, I'm excited to uh, for our listeners to hear from Bart. That, that will be next week. And in the meantime, Price, um, we've just got to keep on plugging, right? Download, listen, subscribe. If you would like to stand with us, we would love for you to do so. Republican.org forward slash join. Takes mere seconds. You get weekend review. You get a little bit of information from us every week or so. We don't spam you. Uh, I think some of our new members could attest to that, including Chelsea J. in Virginia, Sharon D. in Tennessee, Barry S. in New York, Julia G. in Arizona, and Sherry S. in Ohio. Thank you to them, and thank you to everybody else that signed up in the last week. Again, republican.org forward slash join, please. If you have not done so, please stand with us and also download, listen, subscribe. we got a lot of past episodes. Shelf Life is great on that. And we, obviously, a new episode comes out every single Tuesday morning. That's right. So you can have that in your inbox. You can give it five stars. You can drop us a comment. You can drop me a line anytime or price a line anytime if you have a guest or a topic you want us to cover. And um, for those of you who have already reached out, we're working on it. You know, it just takes time to find the right voice, the right people, work with schedules. So, you know, we take all of that very seriously and we love feedback.
back. So thank you. Yes, we do. Until then, we will see you next week. Everybody have a great week. Again, thanks for listening. This episode, we got a whole lot more coming down the next few weeks and months as we've got more of 2021 to go. Thanks for listening, Chelsea. We'll see you next week. All right. Thanks, Price. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.